Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today, we have David Richter with Simple CFO Solutions, and you flew in from St. Cloud, Florida. Talk about why most investors aren't profitable and how to turn your business into a money printer. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm Steve Trang, sales trainer, and every month we help hundreds of people buy more houses at deeper margins. If you want more info about, if you want more info about that, DM me the word sales on Instagram. And I am on a mission to create 100 millionaires, and the information on this podcast alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five, five to seven years. If you'll take consistent action, I promise you will become one. And the show is brought to you by our company, InvestorLift. So get access to over 2 million cash buyers across the country. Go to InvestorLift.com and put in disruptors to get 10% off. And if you get value today, please tag a friend below. Share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. And the show is live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Arizona time. We are hiring. And uh, please check us out on our new Discord. Ready? I'm ready. All right, cool. So uh, first question is, what got you into real estate? Well, I think it was like a lot of real estate investors. A good friend of mine in college gave me the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So yeah. I read that book and it was just like a totally different way of thinking because up till then, you know, my dad had just had normal jobs and, you know, hadn't even thought about being an entrepreneur or buying real estate. And that book definitely unlocked a lot of that mindset for me. Yeah, it's crazy how many people like that was the book. And it, it was for me too. Yep. Um, when was this? Let's see, 2011. So 2011. About, yeah. So 11, this is college. Yep. So you read the book while in college. Yep. All right. And then I'm assuming you still finished your college. Finished degree. the degree. I got married during that time too. Also started, I bought a house like while I was in college too. Like my okay. first one off the MLS, it was a HUD foreclosure. And I'm like, I'm not just going to read, I'm going to do this. So I bought that first house. I like, almost immediately after reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So you're an action taker. Yeah, exactly. I just wanted to jump right into it. And that deal was awesome. Like rented out for a little bit, actually lived in there for a couple of years, then lease option the property and the lease option tenant turned out to be super tenant, paid early and then cashed me out six months later. So I'm like, I want to do this a lot more. So <laughs> I got the bug. Well, you kind of had the wrong expectations set upon you. Yeah, it was, it was pretty uh, different <laughs> expectations up front, but I got around good people too, uh, good mentors that mm -hmm. helped me along that path too. And I started working with a company, a real estate investing company where I was like working nights and weekends for like eight months for free, just like trying to learn, download, bring value to them. And then in return, I got to work with them and we scaled that from five deals a month to 30 deals a month and got to see a whole small business. And so I got a lot of good people pouring into me too. Sure. So 2011, yep. you read the book. What were you studying at the time? To be a teacher. To be so a teacher. secondary education. Which you are now. Yes, we'll get to exactly. that. All right. So you're studying to be a teacher. Uh, read the book. When did you graduate? Graduated 2013. 2013. So yep. you still, even reading the book and even buying properties, you still went all the way through to finish yeah. the degree. Yep. I finished the degree. Okay. And then right after that, yep. you jumped into... Working with the real estate investing company because I just was at at that time I was doing a side you know a side job while I was in college you know going to school during the day and then working at night and that's where I got to read a lot too because I was a machinist so I would just punch in the numbers and then sit down and read for three four hours at a time pretty nice yeah it was pretty nice sounds like management was a little suspect well, <laughs> <laughs> wasn't really around <laughs> right well it's the middle of the night they didn't care there's yeah. cameras everywhere it was just like you know do it you know make sure the machine doesn't go down that was yeah. their big thing well that's awesome yeah it was really awesome so that's where i dove into reading more books on real estate that's what got me interested in seeking out a mentor because yeah. 
I at first asked my dad, like, do you know anyone in real estate in this area? And he's like, yeah, I talked to these couple people. So kind of what got me started right after college going. Well, now it's slightly unusual because most people don't jump into mentorship or hire a mentor or work for anybody. Yeah. Like a lot of people kind of want to do this on their own. Right. And so whether they fail on their own or they go out there and they were kill it either way, like it's kind of like, I'm going to be a lone wolf at first. And sometimes there's some scarcity mindset yep. as well. Like I don't want to share my secrets. Mm-hmm. What prompted you to go work for somebody first before going off on your own? It might've been all the books that I was reading combined with, like I said, I've had good people in my life. The two best people that I could even say were the parents that raised me as well too. Like mm. I owe a lot to them and their, their mentality of seek help if you need that. So it was like, for me, it was a natural progression of I'm reading all these books. I'm taking action on this first property, but I want to either, I want to buy more deals. And I also want to learn business too. Mm-hmm. So that to me was like, what skill do I have? What can I bring to the table to trade off basically like for mentorship or for learning the business or can I add to this company and have, you know, help it scale and grow. So that was kind of the, the mentality that I was going through when at that time. Well, I was very fortunate that you had the mindset to, to learn from somebody else. And it was pretty fortuitous who you ended up connecting with. Yes. You want to talk about who you ended up connecting with? Yes. So Wayne Schaefer, Tom Olson, and Gary Harper. So uh, if you know Gary Harper, he runs Sharper. And mm-hmm. I, he's helped, I believe, with your companies and whatnot. And so worked for five years there underneath those leaders and got to see Gary when he first started and was building out his first systems and processes for, mm-hmm. for Sharper and, you know, seeing his genius at work. And we did, it's, it scaled the company from five deals a month when we first started, when I first started working there to about 30 deals a month when I left and, you know, doing 300 deals a year, it was, you know, a lot of, a lot of that leadership. So yes, I was very fortunate with who I linked up with yeah. at that time. And for those of you guys that didn't watch our episode with Gary Harper, I definitely go check that out episode out later on. We'll put a link in the YouTube, uh, but he's my coach, right? I mean, he's yep. come out here multiple times to help me with my business, help us uh, scale and grow. So it's awesome and pretty fortunate you got to work with him. Yes. Uh, and you also uh, got to work with another peer, uh, Josh. Yes. Yeah. Josh Culler. So he was another person at that company and that's when he was, you know, he's in the marketing department. He was doing all of that stuff there for the properties and whatnot. So getting to see him before he went off on his own too with color media and really exploding his business. So there was a lot of people that have come out of that one business there that now have their different enterprises. Yeah. It's really fascinating to see, see that kind of spot off. Just like we just finished watching, you know, the playoffs, right? Like yep. if you're a good team, like all the assistant coaches or whatever players that go off and do other bigger things on their own, uh, starting with the right leadership uh, from the get go. So what were you responsible for when you were working under Wayne's team? So I was kind of a utility man. I could go in there, fix something, and then move on. Mm-hmm. So I'd always be working myself out of jobs. So I did I did acquisitions, dispositions, project management, property management, transaction coordination, and the finance seat. So I got to see almost All the same deal. time, or were you constantly moving roles? No, I constantly moved roles. So I'd be in a role for about six months to a year, set a process, okay, who can we put inside of that seat? Mm-hmm. So that was my, I was kind of, like I said, that utility man and, you know, managed a hundred properties, put a property management in place, you know, like that whole system. And, you know, one of the last seats I sat in for the last year was the finance seat. Got it. So, which makes a lot of sense. Yes, it um, does. So there's something I learned. This is from a strategic coach, uh, okay. which was like, you know, there's, there's project managers and there's process managers. Mm-hmm. And then the process managers are great because they can do that role forever. Right. Project manager can do something really well once. 
right? And they'll yep. crush that role and they can explain or whatever and, and help other people do it, but they can't do it over and over again. Right. Is that kind of like your situation here? Yeah, I would say so, that it was like, let's get it started and then I would want to move on to something else or like right. what's broken in the company and go yeah. in there and fix it. Okay, so, uh, you know, someone that's, because you're very, you know, finance-oriented, right? Teacher. Yep. This is not the traditional closer. Right. No. So how was that situation? I think when I first started doing that, that job, it was more difficult for me because I wasn't that person at that time. But it was a lot of training and teaching mm -hmm. and, like, going to masterminds. Like, that was the first time they took me to a mastermind, and it opened my eyes. Like, okay, I need sales training or I need, you know, this follow-up system, like just being exposed to all of that to be like, okay, this is, you know, this is how we're going to build this department or this is how we're going to build it out. And then being able to actually put the right people in place too. So it was a mind blowing experience for me. And then it was also a big experience for me to say, you know, if this is the skill that I need, where do I go and get it? And how do I acquire that and just train myself? Cause that was the thing too. Cause now you know, I could talk to a seller, talk to you, talk to any, it's like, it's just talking to people. Mm -hmm. It's asking good questions. It's really getting to know them. What are their, you know, what are they really going through? And after that process, it was just very eye-opening that, you know, a lot of good people around us helping us get there. So you found your um, opportunities, you were closing a higher percentage after that sales training. Oh yeah, big time. But yeah. No question. I mean, there was sales training and then they helped us with our follow-up processes and systems and stuff. And then, then it was like game over. Just, we knew that we had that dialed in at that point. Got it. Okay. And then the last seat you sat in was the finances. Yes. And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that here. Uh, tell me about what that was like and what were you responsible for repairing? Sure. So at that time, the person who was in that seat moved on to a different role and I took that over and basically from entering transactions to managing the budgets for the company to just learning everything about it. And I have, I know I look like it, but I don't have any accounting background. So <laughs> I, that's what I typically get. So I totally get that, that perception, but I don't have that background. So I sat down basically and would call the CPA all the time. Like, what does this mean? Where does this go? What does it, you know, tell teach me about the financial statements. Like I want to deep dive into this. And to me, I had already sat in acquisitions, dispositions. I had sat in those different seats. This one now, the finance seat, put it all together of, here's what really happens with the money. When we're marketing the property, when we're acquiring it, when we're selling it or turning it into a rental, like I got to see the whole story and picture then of what was happening in the business. So to me, it was like, I had all, my eyes had already been opened in all these seats. And then now this was like the total picture of now I know how the money's flowing through the company. And mm -hmm. now I know what is broken or what really needs fixed. You know, like not just what our perception is, but like the data that's right there telling me what is wrong with the company or what, how can we make this better? So, so that was another eye opening experience. So how was the company when you took over that seat? So at that time, it sounds really sexy to say we're doing 25 or 30 deals a month. Yeah. But as much as was coming in the door, that much or more was going out. You know, it was like six, seven figure months sometimes mm -hmm. and six, seven figure months with the expenses too, because we had a lot of overhead, a lot of people. Right. And I think that it's it's hard to to say it. But I think at the same time, a lot of people experience it. I mean, I can say oh, yeah. uh, you know, um, 
There have been multiple times in my business throughout all the years where I'm saying to myself or saying out loud, I'm making a lot of freaking money. Right. Where the hell is it? Yep. And I imagine you've dealt with a handful of clients. I felt the same way. Oh, man. Handful is not strong enough. <laughs> I, I've seriously just this year. What is this? This is February 16th. Middle of the second month. Right. Of the second month. And I've already had over 100 calls of people that that really? want to either use our service or like have gone down this path. Mm-hmm. And like 93 of them are in that scenario of where's I'm making money. Where is it? I need help. Mm-hmm. You know, and I feel like that it's just I hear it all the time now. Yes. With the clients we work with or just people getting on the call, just exploring it of like, what is going on? I, I've, I'm making money, but I have no idea where it's going. I'm not paying myself what I deserve. I just, I hear it all the time now. And just with the seat and with the, the company that we have currently. I'm going to talk about that for sure. I'm going to just write that down, not paying yeah. myself. Um, so let's say, you know, someone's uh, on the call, you know, listening right now and they, they reach out to you. Yeah. Right. Hey, David, like this situation describes me exactly. Right. Uh, I'm making a lot of money. I'm closing double digit because right? everyone wants to do double digit. That's like there's, there's the two figures I hear a lot, you know, for our, our coaching applications is I want to do 10 deals a month or I want to do a hundred thousand a month. Like those are the two yeah. over overarching themes. Yeah. Right. So I'm calling you, David, I'm doing 10 deals a month and I'm making a hundred thousand plus a month, but I have nothing to show for it. What's the first thing you typically say, say to them? The first thing I typically say is that it's okay. Thank you for at least reaching out. That's usually the first thing. People are embarrassed. They're Mm -hmm. ashamed. They're taking coaching from amazing people that got them to those 10 deals because they are the deal maker. Mm -hmm. They're the closers. They're the people that love the deal. And now they're sitting there embarrassed that I'm making a hundred thousand. Like I've hit the goals. The thing that I told Steve, I want to become this hundred thousand person or 10 deals a month. And I have nothing to show for it. And so the first thing I'm usually saying is, hey, you're okay. No need to be embarrassed. Thank you for at least coming on this call. Yeah. Because it's just that first interaction of saying, I'm tired of not seeing the money. That is usually the big indicator of like, they're ready. They're ready to make that shift to not just making the money, but keeping it as well too. Yeah. So that's really the first thing I'm telling them is like, don't be embarrassed because we don't. This is not something that you're going to call Steve for, you know, like, because you do the sales, you do the making the 10 deals a month. And there's not a ton of people out there that say, I have this course and guess what? You're going to do the 10 deals a month, but I'm going to help you keep the money. Or I like, you know, we hear the accountants and bookkeepers and like, we start running. Like even those words get me just like on the inside. Mm -hmm. So it's like, there's not a lot on this side of actually keeping it. And I'm not just talking about CPAs and a tax perspective. I'm talking about true business money management, like actually being able to say, I'm making this money, but I also know where it's going. I know how I'm spending it. I know how I can increase it or decrease this or whatnot in order to make more and put more in my pocket and in the people that that I care about, my employees and making sure that they're taken care of too. So that's where I feel like a lot of people know how to make the money and do the deals. They have great mentors, great coaches, great trainers but they don't have someone with the opposite skill to say, this is how you keep it. Yeah. So it's really talking about a lot of that. Well, Jason Medley, who runs Collective Genius, yep. which you and I are both part of, yep. uh, he says all the time, right? Like making money is a skill. Keeping yep. money is a discipline. And I think that, I mean, there's two things here. First, you know, there's kind of like, 
I want to say in the last 10, 15, maybe 20 years, we've become more used to saying like, I'm not okay. Right. Like mental illness for a very long time right. is, uh, is something that was frowned upon. Like people look down on you and so on. And I think now it's okay to say like, Hey guys, like I'm not okay. I need help. Right. Right. So I think the second step probably is the financial component, right? Like there are a lot of people killing it, crushing it, but not showing, not having a lot to show for it. So I think, you know, I, uh, I admire, you know, you say you got 93 people so far that you're already uh, saying that because that's the first step. Right. In terms of turning that around. Exactly. That's why, that's why I'm doing what I do now. Because a lot of people have told me like, this is not the popular thing. This is not the sexy thing, you know, or whatnot. And I'm like, I'm saving businesses or I'm guiding these businesses. Like these, these are lives, you know, like that with their families, their significant others or with their business partners and like just spinning their wheels. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is a system. This is a simple way to get out of that rat race, you know, like to get out of your real estate rat race that you've built for yourself with these 10 deals a month mm -hmm. and with this hundred thousand a month. So that's why the company, the book, it was the, the 25 deals a month that we were doing 30 deals a month and saying, where the heck is all the money? Like, right. why are we, why are we doing this? Why do we have this many people? Why are we doing this many deals if we're not going to all show something for it? So right. it was just born from a lot of that pain and frustration and seeing it in the people that were close to me too. And that's where I wish back then, you know, would have had a system like this or something. That's why now, that's why this mission, that's why I'm very glad that you're having me out here just being able to talk about this because it is something that I feel like a lot of people don't want to talk about or mm -hmm. feel ashamed or whatnot. And it's like, it's okay. It's okay right. to talk. About. That is okay. It's actually more commonplace than you think. Way more commonplace than you think. It's those people that have reached out that yes, are taking that first step. But for those hundred, there's a thousand other entrepreneurs that are starting with those five deals, you know, 10 deals, you know, mm -hmm. they're first starting out and they're like, where the heck is all the money? Like right. I've just done 10 deals for like at least 10,000 a pop. And I have no idea where my money's going. And I can say, you know, so you and I, we, we, we both presented at CG, you presented yep. on the main stage, I presented in the room, but I kind of shared my own personal story, right? Like yep. the, you know, the, the doing the deals and like literally like having nothing like the, um, the, you can get thirty nine ninety nine a month to death, right? You can get 900 bucks a month forever, right? You get yep. the, this tool, that tool, and you get all these overhead. And it's really hard because like, you don't know which one to cut. It's, if you're not tracking marketing, you don't know which one to cut. Right. Right. A, and then B, you're like, if I cut this and this hurts my business, like you kind of like in this, um, what do they call it? Is it? Catch 22. Is, is it the, 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 the debtor's prison yes. in a way where yep. you're like, you are obligated to pay this. And if you quit this, like you don't know if the cages can get a little bit smaller. Right. So, all right. So we talked about, you know, the first thing is like, Hey, you know, the, uh, talking to you and, and, and acknowledging it. What's the next step. So from there, it's actually diving in mm -hmm. on the money side and being able to talk about, okay, where are we right now? And the first thing that we do is what do you need as a business owner? You know, like, do you know that number to take care of your family? Yeah, so it's take home. What do you need exactly. take home? Exactly. What do you need take home? So that way there's not the struggle. So that way your wife's not saying, why are you doing this? You know, mm -hmm. or why or your husband or whatever, you know, like, why are you doing this? You know, so it's getting that and really knowing what that number is. Because a lot of people don't even start there. They don't, you know, in the business, they've even been doing it for a while because they think I've got enough. I'm cushioned, you know, and it's like they've never taken the time to sit down and say, what do we really need? Let me involve my significant other or business partner or spouse or whatever in these conversations to say, 
What do we really need? Then we like to have conversations from there along the same track of what do you want? Mm-hmm. You know, like, okay, $100,000 a month. What does that mean to you? You know, like how much of that do you want to take home? So now if we're building margin in here, what do you really want and yeah. need? You know, so having those conversations and being real with yourself of what do I need? And then what is going to make me super excited? What's going to get my wife out of bed in the morning too saying, you better go to that real estate investing job so that way you can keep bringing this home. You know, like what are those numbers that get everyone in your family excited? Yeah. I mean, you you hear people in their, potentially in their worst spot. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm really glad that you wrote wrote this book, Profit First for Real Estate uh, Investing, right? Yep. Um, So I read Mike McCallowitz, Profit First many, many years ago. And man, that was such an eye-opening book, you know, kind of like, there's like three, there's a handful of books, right? There's the Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yep. Like opens all our eyes on that. Uh, there's the um, Miracle Morning. Like, oh, yep. right? You can actually wake up early and get more done. Right. Crazy, right? <laughs> and another one is Profit First. Like, wait a minute, I'm allowed to pay myself first? Right. So exactly. let's talk about that, yeah, right? Because you talk about, you know, how much you need to take home. Why is that so important in, in, in line with profiting Profit First? So there's two big parts to Profit First. And it's first that mindset. We love our formulas, right? As mm-hmm. real estate investors. So the formula we're fed, the BS formula that we're fed is sales minus expenses equals profit. Meaning I make a sale, I pay everyone else and their mother, and whatever I have left over is my profit. At the end of the year, most likely is when we're trying to wait for that payday. Whatever, whatever's still in the bank account. Exactly, whatever's still in the bank account. And then that's when your CPA accountant person says, hey, you made 100,000, and then you look at the bank account, and there's $10 in there. You're like, where the heck did all that money go? Mm-hmm. So that's where you're always thinking about expenses first. Profit first, the formula flips it on its head to think about the things that we need to think about first. It says sales minus profit equals expenses, meaning I make a sale, I take my profit off the table, I take that profit first, then I have the expenses left over. You know, that's the the last thing to think about because we need to make sure we're building an actual business. An actual business is profitable. A for-profit business should be profitable. It should be profitable from the perspective that the business is giving you a return and paying you and the business owner. Because so many people get burned out. They get, you know, stuck in that real estate rat race of living deal to deal, living month to month. They're making, you know, the decisions from their fear because they're like, I have to have that next deal because I have no margin and I have to go over even if it's a slim deal. They're making all these decisions from, you know, like, the perspective of I'm paying my expenses first and hopefully I'll have something at the end of the day versus we're going to make sure we have our oxygen masks on. We're going to make sure that the business is healthy. We're going to make sure that we're running a true business here that supports why I even started real estate investing before we get into the rat race trap of like, okay, I got to just reinvest every single dollar back in because I am not against reinvesting. I am against it, though. If you are struggling, you're on life support, you've got debtors coming after you, you've got your wife or spouse or significant other or business partner coming after you, like, what, when are we going to get paid? You know, forget so, Uncle Sam. Exa- yeah, exactly. So anyway, it's just every single person. So it's like anyone that you, is in your life, you know, like making sure that you're taking care of yourself. So that's that first step in profit first is switching that mindset and that focus to building good habits in your business, good financial habits, good profitability habits, making profit a habit in your business. That's the first thing, that first thing to unlock. I will say though, 
we as real estate investors, we have already on this show talked about Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm -hmm. And we've already talked about that mindset in other good books like The Miracle Morning or The Richest Man in Babylon, Portion of All I Have is Mine to Keep. And Rich Dad, Poor Dad says, pay yourself first. We've heard that. That message is communicated to us mm -hmm. as a real estate investor. But with all the calls I'm taking, it doesn't sink in until there's a true system so, for it. So I think this is something that I experienced as well. Yeah. And so like, you know, growing up, I did learn financial discipline from my parents. Yeah. Right. And, you know, save money, put money aside, put money in your 401k. You know, that's a whole different conversation. Right. Yes. Uh, disagreeable. But, you know, put your money in your 401k, uh, IRA and save so you can retire later on. But there was a lot of saving, right? You know, mom would say, you know, like a dollar, a penny saves a penny earned, you know, quoting Benjamin Franklin. But for whatever reason, once you go from W-2 to 1099, that all goes out the window, right? right? Yeah. So we all know it from Richest Man in Babylon, Dave Ramsey and these other places, right? Yeah. To save money and pay yourself first. But when we go to business, something changes. Right. Right. And it's like, I got to reinvest. I got to reinvest. I got to reinvest. So I think that one thing, maybe, you know, maybe as mentors or whatever, uh, what this podcast is for is that letting people know it's okay to pay yourself first. Cause there's so many people that are like, I got to hustle. I got to grind, hustle, grind, right. hustle, grind, put it all in. And then you have nothing to show for it. That's, I love that you brought that up because there's literally people that we're working with that have told us, I have this money in an account and I'm scared to touch it. Like, can I touch this? Like, I don't know what I don't know mm -hmm. from the business side. No one taught me the business financial management. Sure, I've got the Dave Ramsey or I've got this, you know, like the richest man in Babylon type stuff, but I don't know if that, does that transfer to business? Mm -hmm. You know, like, do I still do the same thing? So I love that you brought that up because sometimes it's just giving that permission of, you know what? Yes, it's okay. Cause we're setting up this system. That's exactly what it's for. And we're going to know. This money here is for you. This money over here is to invest in the business like yeah. and to grow it and to invest in people. So that's where just that freedom of saying, we're working with someone who understands what I need as mm -hmm. a business owner and tells me it's okay. I've gone through that in this business that I have now currently. I have a CFO yeah. on the team where it's like, we're helping more people. Is this okay? You know, like I, I have never made this much before. I feel bad a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it's like the same thing for a real estate investor. They start making all this money, like doing 10 deals a month, doing the $100,000 months like you brought up. And it's like, is it okay to take this? Mm -hmm. You know, like I feel like I have to pour everything back in or I'm, I'm doing someone a disservice out there or like people can't know, you know, or whatever. I've got to reinvest everything. It's like, well, no, it's okay. We need you to be healthy. Right. We need you, if no one else on the team to be healthy, we need you to be healthy because you've got the vision. You've got the mission. You're the one telling the, you're the one bringing on acquisitions people. You're the one bringing on the team members. You're the one supporting all these mm -hmm. people. And it's like, you have to be healthy. So yeah, it's like. You're steering the boat. You're steering the boat. And if you're not, and if, if you don't know what healthy, you're doing, or if you're not exactly. safe, you're not healthy, we're all in trouble. It, we're all in trouble. And that's where sometimes you just need that permission to say, yeah, it's okay. You can yeah. take this out. And I think that people can get comfortable with the idea of bringing in a hundred thousand a month, doing a million dollars in a year in revenue. But I think kind of to your point, something I haven't thought about before was that even though you got all that money coming in, you've never made this much money before. Right. And you don't know, like, is, am I allowed to pay myself 250,000 <laughs> right. a year? Like it sounds crazy. It does. But Doesn't it? there is that, 
we do have our own baggage that we've been, uh, you know, we've walked around with our whole lives with. Yes. That is so good because if you think about it, you're leveling up yourself too. Your company, as your company levels up, you are leveling up as well. So that does mean you can pay yourself more. You're going, or you're, once you get to that level and you're like, should I be paying myself this much? Yes. You need to be growing your net worth. You need to be taking care of your family. Do you remember when you first got into real estate investing and you were like, I can't wait to make $200,000 a year or $500,000 a year. And it's like, you need a plan to get there. And along the way, you're going to have mental roadblocks because if you've been an employee before, you've got some golden handcuff shackles, you know, mm-hmm. like on your mindset of like, should I, you know, like I need to be doing everything all the time as a, you know, like even if I'm the business owner, I need to be in everything mm-hmm. or I still have to have my claws into some of these different areas. And it's like, as you are growing as an entrepreneur, business owner, and from the leadership perspective, you also need to go from the financial perspective of it's okay to make more. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I, now I'm going to be making more. What do I do with it? It Then it raises a, a whole lot more fun questions right. because now I'm making more than I've ever made. What can I spend in my personal life and what do I need to reinvest in other areas and make sure I'm, you know, taking care of what has been entrusted with, you know, that I'm taking home. So. And I think something that, uh, you know, you kind of talked about earlier was that, you know, the hustle and grind and investing, right? And I think yeah. kind of to the point, uh, I think you're, you're kind of going that direction was that it's okay to reinvest it, re- reinvest back in business if it's a conscious choice. Right. Right. Exactly. As long as you still have the habits of paying yourself. Because like with this system, you're setting up accounts to be for your benefit, for the mm-hmm. business owner's benefit. So as long as you are still making sure that you're paid what you need, that the business is profitable, that you've still got those percentages or whatever that might be, even if you're like, you know what, I want to take a couple percents from my profit in order to reinvest back in the business and grow, as long as it's a conscious choice and you're still keeping the same habits of good financial management, making sure you're still paid what you're needing, that the company is still profitable, Mm -hmm. and that you're growing from that perspective and not from, you know what, we're going to cut all this off. I'm just going to dump everything back into this. And then we're going to hopefully scale out of our, you know, scale into profitability. And where it's like, I love how Keith Cunningham puts it in his books. He's like, if you've got a growth and a tumor, you know, adding more to a cancerous business only grows the tumor, you know, like versus a healthy business where you're like, let's invest into this healthy business. So yes, a conscious choice and keeping the same habits that got you to be profitable. Now, I think a lot of what we're talking about sounds really commonsensical, right? If, if someone's listening to this, they're like, what the heck are these guys talking about? Like, this is all common sense. Now, those that are experiencing it know right. what we're talking about. Yeah. But let's talk about the why, right? Yeah. So Parkinson's law, uh, you want to talk about why that's a, why, why the formula is wrong in Parkinson's law. Right. So Parkinson's law says the amount of time I have to do something, I give myself to do something, is the time that it will take. If I give my three weeks, you know, three weeks for a project, it'll take me three weeks. If it's three days, it'll take three days. And it's the same thing with your money. If you give yourself too much money, like if you have this one big bank account mm-hmm. where everything goes in and everything goes out and you're just tossing a cash salad all the time, one day you feel like a king or queen because you've got a million dollars in that account. And you're like, I could spend on this marketing or this mastermind or hiring this new person and what, you know, like, and then the next day payroll runs, all your other marketing channels run. And like, now that account is like way down and it's drained. And you're like, oh shoot, where did all that money go? Mm -hmm. And it's like, because you have that one account, you feel like, you feel like if I have a bunch of money, I can spend it. 
And if I don't have a bunch of money, I'm going to be more frugal with it. And that's what this whole point and this whole system is about. It's about taking your profit first off the table so that way you're not mingling it and the way, what you should be paying yourself with what the expenses are of the business. So that way you've got that a, a different bank account just for the expenses. So that way you see these are the expenses for the business so I can run it, but it's not touching what I'm paying myself or what I want, what I want, what I choose the profitability to be for the business. Mm -hmm. So that way you're separating out that because that's where now, if you've got those good habits, you're setting that up, then you're truly becoming a profitable business and giving yourself control. You're controlling your money now. You control of, if I have money in that account, I can spend it in the, yeah. in the OPEX account or my operational expense account. If I don't have the money there, then I'm either gonna have to figure out how to do more deals or I'm gonna have to figure out something in order to fill that bucket back up. Right. So it's like making you and forcing you to be a savvy business owner just from knowing that if I give myself less to work with, I'm going to be more savvy in order to make sure that I keep this, this profit over here secure and safe and make sure that our family and our, you know, like our personal needs are taken care of. Uh, so Ryan Panito, he was on the show um, a couple of years ago yep. and he shared a story of like um, when he borrowed some money uh, as a second loan, right. To put as a down payment, on another house. Yep. And, uh, or no, he had gotten a loan for repairs for a flip. Right. Mm -hmm. So that money was in that same account. So he spent it as a down payment for another house. Ooh. And then when it was time to make those repairs, that bank account was not looking so good. So you had to figure something out, but right. that's the risk we run when we're putting everything through one account. One account. Exactly. And that's where even in the book, profit first for real estate investing, I dedicate a whole chapter to reserves, number one. And then number two, I talk about OPM, how that should be an account for that you set up other people's money that isn't mingled with your expenses and with what it takes to run the business. Cause if you're a real estate investor and growing that way, you can go out all day long and secure private money or hard money or whatever, because you've got assets and you've got real things that people want to invest in. But now you are needing to be so responsible for that money. Even more responsible. Even more responsible. So that's why I always encourage people, open up a separate account, call it OPM, don't mingle all that money together because you are. You're going to feel like a, a freaking king one day or queen. And like now, now you don't just have all your money in there. You have other people's money in that one big account. <laughs> so it's like, please separate for the love of God. Separate that out so that way you know this is the money I have for my projects. This is the money I have to run the business. Because if you start dipping into this project money, you know that's already a big red flashing light inside your business or vice versa. So it's like... That's the other thing too. You run out of project money and have to start eating to your OPEX, you know, your mm -hmm. operational expenses. That's going to be a red light for you too. You're like, now I'm having to contribute to this. What happened? Like, did we go over budget or whatnot? It's another warning light for you as the business owner. So, yeah. yeah. So hopefully we've sold people on step one of just changing the formula. Yes. <laughs> What's the second step? So the second step in the system is actually setting up bank accounts. So it's like actually physically setting up like the jar system or like the envelope system that you might've heard from, you know, like Dave Ramsey or whatnot, mm -hmm. not that I agree with everything that he teaches, but for- He's the, right most of the things. For just, most of the things. There's a few things he's just really wrong about. Exactly. So in real estate investing and for what we do with our money, those envelopes are a great thing because now instead of one of the big mistakes we see is having that one big bank account where everything goes in and out, mm -hmm. tossing the cash salad, but having separate bank accounts 
specifically for you. Now, in the book, I call the first three accounts to open the Golden Trio. Because I, I love, I, you know, come on, look at me. I love Harry Potter. I love Star Wars. You know, like I love these big epic sagas. So I love, I absolutely love those where they have the three main heroes. You've got Luke, you know, Luke, Han, and Leia, or Harry, Ron, Hermione, you know, always making sure that good wins in the end. Mm -hmm. And your business is your epic saga. It is your, you are living out your epic saga with your business, with your story that you're creating right now. So you need three main heroes inside of your business. You need these three accounts that are always working for you to make sure you win in the end, whatever that end is. If that's selling the business, passing it on to your kids, passing it on to employees, leaving a legacy, whatever it might be. Setting up those three accounts is one of the first big steps of taking that step in the direction of being a true business owner and saying, we're going to be profitable, drawing a line in the sand and saying, we're gonna be profitable now because we're gonna actually fund these accounts and they're gonna be truly, our business is gonna be profitable. So that first account, open up a profit account. Second account, owner's compensation. Third account, owner's tax. We call that the golden trio or for the owner's benefit. Those three accounts are all for the owner's benefit because the difference between profit and owner's comp, because I get this question all the time for those two accounts, profit is something you take quarterly where you're either paying down bad debt that's keeping you up at night or you're taking that, like half of what's in that profit account and celebrating uh -huh. and say, this is why I freaking started my business. You know, right. like what, to be profitable and to actually take this money out and say, and not feel guilty about taking money out of this and saying, I'm actually getting a return for my hard work, my sweat equity or the equity that I have in my company. The owner's compensation is for you, the business owner, to be paid consistently for yeah. what the work you do in the business. So that way you actually have an account this is why if you're just getting into real estate, that's you start funding that owner's compensation bucket until you have like consistently enough to walk away from your W-2. So yeah. it's like that that one account is for making sure you're paid consistently. Then owner's tax. Like how many times have I heard like, shoot, it's it's almost April 15th or October 15th. I've got to do three more deals right now just to cover my tax bill, or I've got to like be on a payment plan and pay them back, you know, like over this time. This account is to make sure, especially if you're wholesaling or doing an active business, that you're saving for the taxes throughout the year. So setting up those three accounts will be revolutionary to your business. If you do that, I promise, if you listen to this episode, take action. A year from now, you'll be like, I have more money than I've ever had in my business before. That's a guarantee. Like if you can just open those accounts and start funding them with just 1%. So those are the three accounts. Uh, the fourth account would be like an income account where everything comes in and it sits for you to be able to then push it to those other accounts. Yeah. So like, that's another big one too. We all want to feel in control of our money. And if you, if you have been listening so far, I haven't talked about the financial statements or any accounting jargon. Like this is all something you could do as a business owner. Right. You could set up these accounts, you can transfer it. So this income account is for you, the business owner now, to move your money because now you'll be in control of where your money goes versus just having that one big pot where uh, transactions come in, transactions go out. What the heck is happening? Well, I like this because I mean, this is something like, you know, you could explain to a third grader and exactly. they can go do this right now. Right? It's the envelope go, system. It's the envelope system for business. So there's that income. Then you already have that fifth account, the OPEX. You're already paying the expenses. Mm -hmm. You already have the villains of your business, you yeah. know, like to go out the door. So those five fundamental accounts are what make up the opening up the bank accounts of profit first. And I tell people, you don't want to go with the whole system or you're just learning about it on the first time, 
If all you did from this thing was open one bank account, call it profit, and transfer 1% in there, you're building the muscle. You're building the habit, that yeah. habit of profitability. That's what the system's about. Don't worry about like, okay, how much percentage should go in this account? Or like, should I open a different account for this or whatnot? Do all that. That's great. That's as you get more advanced. But if you're just starting out, the whole point of the system is to be profitable and make it a habit. So like just set up that one account. And I promise a year from now, you'll have multiple accounts and they'll all be funded. And you'll be like, holy crud, why have I not started this sooner? So that's yeah. the second step is opening up those accounts. So the the tax thing is, is you know, it's funny you bring that up because I've known multiple people. They're like, holy crap, I need to close three deals between now and April 15th yep. so I can pay Uncle Sam. Yeah. Right. Uh, and the other thing, too, was you talk about the wage account. So I might have upset some people in the past, but what I've always said was that if you're not paying yourself a regular wage, you don't have a real business. Oh, I 100% agree with that statement. A hundred percent. If you can't pay yourself, you don't have a real business. What so, is the definition of a business? So let's talk about this, right? Like the people that aren't paying themselves. I mean, like, oh, I guess we kind of talked about it. Like, you know, this is the the, the set way. Um, so you talked about, you said you wrote a chapter about reserves. Yes. What, how much should someone have in reserves? I, I tried looking this up, you know, on Google and yeah. other things. So I was like, I said, screw it. Six to 12 months. <laughs> if we have six to 12 months of OPEX, we should be fine. So what is the right answer? So the right answer, there's so many right answers, right? It depends on who's watching this and what they're comfortable with. The one that's got the David Richter stamp. The David Richter stamp, I would say at least three months of reserves. So one quarter. A lot of people can have a bad month in real estate. They'll be okay because they make it up for the next month. Closings get pushed back. If you have a bad quarter in real estate, sometimes it's harder to recover. Yeah. That's when you feel, because so many people reach out and they're like, I'm on the real estate roller coaster here, you know, like income up and down, just like all the time. Having at least a quarter will give you that security and peace of mind. And I do. I dedicate a whole chapter of the book to reserves because I know I, I'm, I've done 850 deals. Like I get it that where I don't want to have lazy money. Mm -hmm. I want everything out there on the street. So I, want, I want to deploy it. And that's where I did. I had to do soul searching. And after talking with and implementing with real estate investors, like write a whole chapter and say, this is what reserves will do for you. So I give a lot of examples in there, you know, like OPM, other people's money. It'll be way easier to attract other people's money and grow your business without your cash. If you have some of your cash mm -hmm. to be able to show those lenders, you know, like banks too, banks, institutional finance, you know, funding, private lenders, Hard money lenders, like, they love that stuff. So, like, that's one huge reason, like, if you're wanting to scale your company and not use your own money. But then also, people don't realize the psychological effect on them if they have reserves. Not having to have that next deal. Not having to close it. Just because you're like, I'm not living deal to deal. I've got money in my reserve account. I've got the money to be able to weather a storm. Like, I don't need to take the slim deals. I don't need to do these things. You know, like... It just gives that peace of mind to the business owner to say, I don't have to live from fear and like make these decisions from that fear, but instead from my purpose, you know, like that's what the reserves really do. It gives you the better opportunities to make better decisions of how to really do the things that are going to move the needle and move your revenue needle too. So ideally, so it was at least three months, at least three months. Ideally. I love six to 12. So yes, that's where a lot of the people we work with, we want to get them to six to 12 months of reserves. So that way they could take off a year. That's the other thing about reserves is 
you don't know when the next market crashes or whatever. Like everyone always says that. So obviously this is for you to be able to weather those storms and to capitalize on them, those opportunities. But also what about personal storms? What if you have a personal crash and you're, hmm. that could be a sickness of yourself or a significant person in your life, a mom, dad, spouse, child. Like what if you had to take six to 12 months off and support them? You know, so it's like, that's what the business, the business should be providing that peace of mind for you as well, too, to be able to say, I have to walk away right now and maybe even shut everything down, you know, and it's like, I, and then that way you could at least weather those storms without having to say, shoot, I wonder how the business is doing. And like, you know what, I know they just went into surgery, but I got to make this call real quick, you know, like, and do this deal. It's like, it gives you some of that peace of mind as well, too. Yeah. Um, Anything else in the process before we get into people's questions? Oh man, just start, start with that one account, start opening that account. So that way you can get into the habit of being profitable. That's what this system is about. That's why I did. I sold, I had, I built up a little rental portfolio. I was doing some of my own deals. Like I sold all of that to start this movement now of like, please, for the love of God, stop living in your real estate rat race. When we can get out of that, there's a system for this, a simple system to be able to pay yourself. So there you go. There's my last two cents before All right. we go into the And questions. so, and like, again, right? Like he's done over 850 deals. Like this is not something that's like kind of like theory. Like you, no. you're, you're, I've seen it. I've lived it. Knees deep, hands deep, chest deep. It. So, yep. uh, so before we get to the questions, how much, how much should someone put in the self-development or is it such a, such a thing for like, cause we talk about Brian Tracy, Darren Hardy, right? Yep. 10% to tithing, 10% to personal development. Right. Like, do yep. you have any kind of figures for this? As far as a figure goes, I don't have a specific figure. I would say 10% is a good amount because that's about what we're spending, like on masterminds or going and mm. sharpening the ax or mentorship or whatnot. So I would say 10% is a great target because that's the best investment we know that you're going to make because that's where you learn stuff like this. You yeah. learn the sales, you learn how to be a better business owner, you learn financial management. So yeah, I would say 10% for sure. And then when in doubt with this system, add an account, open up an account for personal development and say, I'm going to stick 10% of every deal in there because I know that I want to level up my game over this next year. And this is what I have to spend on coaches, mentors, masterminds, programs, whatever. So that way I can be, so that way it also shows you, this is the amount that I have. So I have to be very selective of who I go to, the training that I get, what do I need? So I would say 10% is a, a very healthy number. You know, Larry Etch? Oh yeah, I love Larry. Yeah, so yeah. we we uh, we spent um, thirty five thousand, right, just to yeah. have him coach all the leaders in our organizations, and it's been mind blowing for sure. We already, I already know we made that money back. All right, so guys, if you need help in your business, schedule a call with our team. Uh, just send me just send me a DM on Instagram, help, and then we will help you in the best way that we can. Uh, so questions so far. So Corey G on YouTube, what's the average profitability margins you see? For wholesaling operations. So you Ooh. put 30 to 40%, but I think that might be optimistic. So what do you typically see? Well, I would honestly say for wholesale, let's, let's define that too. Cause I'm going to have a totally different, what I say is profit. Cause you know, like, let's think about this. You say you're a seven figure business. Most people are talking about their gross profit, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, okay, that's great. So what's your gross profitability percentage or like what's your net profitability or in profit first, what's your cash profitability margin? Mm -hmm. You know, so there's like different things. So I'm going to do it from the most, 
the one that most people think of is net profitability on their profit and loss that their accountant shows them at the end of the year of like, or what they, they can log in and see, this is my net profit. For wholesaling businesses, now, this is a lot of people add in what they're paying themselves to. We've seen as high as like 50% net profitability where someone that's running super efficiently that can really, and it's just strictly wholesaling. Fix and flips, not that high. The highest we're seeing is 27 to 30% for fix and flip. Wholesales, 30 to 50% is really healthy. And we see that them, the wholesalers being able to achieve that higher margin. There was one person we were we worked with, they were at 27%. They started focusing on their profit. They're at 52% right now That's because incredible. it's like they know they need to be focused on these areas in order to really pump out that profit percentage. So, Do you know what it is across the industry? Across the industry? Mm-hmm. I can only say speak for the ones where we're digging into their books. I would say it is closer to that 30%, where a lot of people are closer to that 30% margin of you know, that's where their net profitability is. I think you're a little high. Um, so anyway. At least with the people that we're working with. That's with the people I'm, you're working disclaimer. with. Disclaimer. I'm just saying, I think that's a little high. Yeah. Uh, and then the best you've seen here is 52%. So yeah. um, uh, Ben, on YouTube, with all the different strategies in real estate investing, how do you encompass all the different roads, different needs of each strategy or business when you suggest the profit first account splits in your book? Yes. So, I love this. So if you did read the book, they, I've got different setups for different types of businesses. And if you have multiple entities inside of your business, this is something I cover in there too, that do different types of exit strategies, like fix and flip versus rentals, you know, or active versus a passive type of investment. I would set up the accounts for those specific, you know, I would treat them differently. I would treat them like two so totally different businesses and say, these are my accounts for the fix and flip. These are my accounts for the rentals. These are the, my percentages that I'm shooting for for the rentals. These are percentages I'm shooting for for the fix and flips. And that's how we set it up with a lot of the people that we're working with. But if you've got like multiple LLCs or multiple entities for the same type of business, I would create like master accounts for all those different entities and just be like, this is how it, we're doing overall or whatnot. So that's how we've handled it with people. But if it's different exit strategies, split it out. Yeah. And then, uh, same, uh, same from Ben is what do you think about guys who borrow a couple extra thousand dollars from a private money lender on top of the secure loan to take into their business to cover marketing or OPEX expense? As long as you are telling the investor that you're doing that, you know, like that those, I don't want you getting a property loan and then using it for the business, mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, is this just an unsecured loan that they're giving to you because they trust you as the business owner that you're able to use for whatever to grow the business? So make sure that you're just very careful, that you're very above the board, that you're going to tell them like what you're going to be doing uh, with that. But I'd be very careful of taking project money and then using it for other things. It's for no other reason, you know, besides obviously telling the in investor, but then getting in that habit. Mm -hmm. That quickly becomes a habit of I'm getting extra money, I'm going to do that, and now I'm going to be able to cover more of my expenses versus I need to do more deals or I need to figure out a better solution to bring more revenue in right. to be able to grow to where I want to without having to use private money all the time for whenever there's a new stage of growth. So. Yeah. And uh, uh, Jamil, who you probably know too. Yes. Right, we talked a long time ago, like, you know, one of the best ways or a lot of Ponzi schemes don't start off as Ponzi schemes. Right. They start off as mismanaged funds. Exactly. And it gets worse and, and it gets worse, worse and worse. And you're like, oh, shoot, I'm paying for project B's, you know, for project B's project with project, you know, 
X is money, you know, yeah. like it snowballs that much. And we're like, oh shoot, we got to now, you know, we've got to make sure that we have a, pay, a plan to get that back on track. Yeah, I see Stephen Collar here. So thank you, Stephen, for all the comments. Uh, so on Facebook, Anthony, what is the most common mistake you see investors make in the first 36 months? Ooh, great question. First mistake I see is not having a system for the money. You are going to make, you're listening to the Real Estate Disruptors podcast. Like Steve is a millionaire maker. Like these, they, we don't say these things just because it's a marketing scheme or whatnot. We say these things because it go, it's going to happen. You take action as a real estate investor, you listen to these guys, you're going to, and gals, you're going to make the money. So the biggest mistake I see is that there's no plan once you make the money, what to do with that money, like being very intentional with every dollar. Because if you do this from your first deal and building good habits, you're now building a habit and that muscle from deal one that scales to that habit of deal 1000 and yeah. doing 10 deals a month, you know, and like getting to that point. So the biggest mistake I see is people abdicating and just saying, I'm going to give this to the bookkeeper. I'm not going to think about the finances. Hopefully they'll just take care of all that stuff and I can just do deals. And it's like, you don't just need to do deals. You need to direct that money. Where is the best usage for that money to go? And are you getting into good profitability habits? So that's where right from the beginning, this is for you, the real estate investor who's just starting out, start this system now and you'll build better habits than when I'm, I do. I already have, when I get back next week, 10 calls with people already scheduled where they're wanting to come on to say, help, mm -hmm. I'm on fire. They're, you know, like they're running around with a chicken with their head cut off because now they've scaled up and now it's a big mess. So it's like, before you get to that point, because 36 months down the road, you can get to that point very quickly, like in the first 12 months, you know? So yeah. get into good profitability habits, get a financial management system, cash flow system, like profit first, like to manage that cash on the other side, because you're going to make that money. Yeah, I think that's a very great point. And it's just, the, the I still remember reading all the testimonials, right? In, yep. in, in Mike's first book, and these all these guys that started the right way and then when they became really successful like they were that profit stayed the same and they did really well as the business grew right and yeah the the you know sales and marketing sales is sexy right oh yeah big time sign contracts big checks that's sexy marketing cool too oh yeah right um but money right like it's a uh, I, I would rather cold call. There was a time, not today. <laughs> sure. There was a time I would rather cold call than look at my books. Yeah. Right. Like if you look at all the different things we have to do in our business and we get stuck or whatever, I would rather cold call than look at QuickBooks. Exactly. And we understand that. I understand that. That's why we started this company too, to be in between a bookkeeper and CPA. Cause that's all they focus on is the books, the transactions. Mm -hmm. And for us, it's what do those numbers mean? Like right. we don't even, have, let's take the, the, the data out of there and like build a dashboard for you and be like, this is where you can pull these levers now. Cause yeah, that's why I'm like, when people try, you know, like an interview me or whatnot or on other things and they start bringing up accounting or bookkeeping, I'm like, please just for the love of God, that's not what they want to hear. Mm -hmm. You know, like, because no one wants to really talk about that as a business owner, you care about the cash in the business and making the money and doing the deals and what you take home in your pocket. Right. And that's where, what are the levers that pull that? So yeah, I totally understand that too. So it's like, you don't abdicate and just let everything go, 
But there's a point too where you need to just be looking at the highest numbers from that those systems and saying, okay, what are the what are the levers to pull? Because I love this. This perspective for me was great. I've got a personal mentor, and he said that you know a lot of people love to solve problems. You know, like we're we're entrepreneurs. That's mm-hmm. what we do all day long, right? right? We solve problems. The biggest thing in business, though, is knowing the best problems to solve. Those numbers uncover those best problems to solve. Whether it's with a system, a process, a person, man, cash flow management, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. it's a red neon light for the ones who know what they're looking for to say, "Here's what the problem is. Let's fix it." You right. know, so it's like knowing that is really what's going to help you. Yeah, the clarity. Get get that clarity. Yeah, and I don't know how many times I lied to myself. It's like, all right, this weekend, mm-hmm. this weekend I'm going to look at I'm going to look at the numbers. This weekend I'm going to look at the finances. Right. Yeah. Countless lies. Yeah. That's where <laughs> accountability. Uh, David Nicholson on Facebook. Is there any kind of platform that allows you to see all these accounts in tandem? He has accounts with multiple banks and it's cumbersome to view them all. Uh, so besides a QuickBooks, I mean, a QuickBooks takes everything and puts it into the one format. And like now I'm getting into the accounting portion. So buckle up. I mean, please stay with me. So like on the balance sheet, it'll show you even if you have multiple bank accounts spread across multiple banks, it'll show you in one clear place like this is the different bank accounts that I have no matter where the banks are and how much I have in each of them. So if as long as you have something like that with a QuickBooks like online system, that's one place to do it. Then there are like online management softwares or systems or tools that, you know, some people use for that. It could be like, you know, like some of these tools I think of like reach reporting or fathom. There's some other types of reporting tools that kind of do that as well too. bring it together. But if you've got a QuickBooks and whatnot, you could literally pull up your balance sheet and say, okay, I want to see, I just want to connect all my business accounts and they're going to show up here on my assets. You know, like, like Robert Kiyosaki says in his books, I mean, they're going to be right there. Cash is one of your assets. So that's an easy way of an easy hack to see all of your accounts that they're spread out across multiple places. Yeah. And QuickBooks, I, I, again, it's, that's, that's the place to go. Yeah. Um, you you got to have QuickBooks online, uh, yeah. I, I believe. So uh, Kai Nguyen on uh, YouTube, uh, what do you do when you run into mental hurdles or you get stuck? What do I do personally? Oh man, that's great. I have mentors. So I have a personal mentor that I pay a lot of money to, to reach out to. I also have amazing team members. I have a great right-hand man who is the CFO and like COO of the company where I talk about, this is the angst I'm feeling right now. Is this legitimate? Is this valid? You know, like, and talking through those things Mm -hmm. as a business owner. Then books. I'm a huge avid reader. One of the books I'm going through right now is The Four Agreements uh, by Don Miguel Ruiz. And it's a great personal book. Just the four agreements that you should set up with yourself. You know, be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. Don't make any assumptions and always do your best. So it's like things like that where, like you said, you know, it's like being able to say, I need help, you know, at these times. And this is where I'm going to get it from. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's where a lot of that I go to one of my personal heroes too. I'm just going to throw this out there. Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, especially with a five-year-old daughter now, thank God for him. You know, it's like being able to talk about those things that you were talking about. And I have this, my wife got me a calendar. She got me a last year and did this again this year of all Mr. Rogers quotes. I start our, we have a daily huddle with our team. So I start with those. We have a weekly huddle with our whole team, like more of a, you know, culture building, so I, you know, always start with one of those quotes because it gets me to think deeply at the very beginning of the day. So that's another thing too that kind of keeps me sharp from 
am I am I giving people emotional paychecks? Am I being that emotional support to them? Am I and am I getting that too? So there you go. There's a couple of the the hacks for me that I go to uh, on Instagram um, at Atres Chitta. Uh, if you were starting with five thousand dollars to wholesale, how would you structure the business? So if I were starting with five thousand, so this is money that you've already saved. So this to me shows me that you're already on the right path because you. I have the $5,000 where a lot of people just get in and they say, I have no money. How can I do real estate? No money down. Mm-hmm. So I would say, first of all, that money might be best spent on like a Steve train or on, you know, like a system to teach you how to well, duplicate the deals, duplicate that deal flow. How fast can you systematize the business to where you're getting consistent deals in the door? So if you that's where I'm going to say the first time you make 5,000, I'm going to say it's totally different. Now you need to split it up into the different buckets. But if you have 5,000 to invest, I would invest it in yourself to say, what, how can I make this, this business as consistent as possible? Whether that's sales training or whatever you might be weak in or hiring an admin person. Because the first person I believe most entrepreneurs need is an admin. Absolutely. Like for just the ticky tack stuff, paperwork or whatnot, and to do the books, because you're not going to want to touch the books. No. But guess what? From day one, if you have someone in there, you're going to have the power, control, and clarity that you need to run the business if you have someone in there. So there you go. There's a couple options if you're just getting started out with $5,000. So on Facebook, Cody uh, Wilmoth wants to know, what's the right time to scale? How much revenue should be produced per acquisition agent, in your opinion? Okay. So I'm going to take it a different way. It has nothing to do with revenue. It has everything to do with what you're keeping. What are you keeping? Are you, first of all, are you paying yourself enough? Are you paying yourself what you deserve? If you can answer that question and say, you know what? Yes, I'm good. It's probably time to scale up. (laughs) It's probably time to say, you know what? We could take a couple of the percentage points from profit and put it back into the business because, because if you have a system like profit first, you know how everyone says, I feel like I hear this all the time. Sales solves all problems. Mm -hmm. It definitely does if you have a profit first system, because then you're adding fuel to a plane that's on its way up versus if you have no profit, you're barely squeaking by, you're barely paying off your credit card debt every month. And you're just like, you know what? I don't know if, you know, like this next month, but I think if I scale up, it's going to be a lot better. If I do more deals, you know, like that, that's going to fix everything. So I would scale once you say, Hey, I'm in a good place right now. We've got some profitability percentage. Now I'm going to put some of that towards actually scaling the business where you might be at 10% profitability now. Maybe you take that down to two or 3% for a little bit and throw those extra percentage points into hiring a a kick a person, you know, that comes on your team and revolutionizes it or hiring a Steve or hiring a sharper or something like that to come in to systematize the business or getting you more into that foundational level. So I would say it has more to do with how you're doing health wise of the business than it does the revenue, like, okay, I've hit 10,000 a month in revenue. Should I go to 20,000 now? Yeah. I love that. you talk about profit, like how much profit you're making. The other thing too, is I see a lot of people make this mistake, you know, like they're running appointments, mm, right? They're going yep. to meet with the homeowner and when they close, like as a business owner, you just keep that profit, right? Which yep. makes sense. Yep. But they never pay themselves as a, as a salesperson. Right. Right. And so like, yep. you know, they're not paying themselves the 10, 15, 20%. They would pay the next person when they replace themselves. So your profitability might be a little uh, skewed yeah. because you're not doing, if you are not paying yourself what you would pay that person, how can you replace yourself? Right. So like you, you're seat. making 10% profitability. You're bringing this new person 
who now you're paying them, let's just say 10%, yep. now your profitability went to zero or negative. Right, exactly. Right? So if you're gonna scale, you gotta make sure that you're paying yourself for the seats that you're in. Otherwise, your profitability is not quite as accurate. That's why I love percentages. That's why I love running the business from percentages because then we know, we can we scale up and down of where we are right now? Do we need to pay more to the owner or do we need to throw more towards OPEX because now we're actually gonna have a person on the team that's going to take this off the shoulders? You know, like whatever that is in the business. You know, as you start unloading your hats and giving them to other people, do you have the money for that? So that's why I love running off percentages because then you can see, do we have the percentage points to be able to bring on someone or do we not have those percentage points or do we need to build that in over this next quarter and laser focus on our profitability before we get to that stage of like, you know what, I'll run appointments for another quarter here, but then after that, I'm gonna build that profitability margin in to get someone in there. Mm -hmm. And that way, because the worst thing I hear people say is we're just gonna hire the person and we're gonna make it work. You know, and it's like- it <laughs> sounds like God, something I would say. Right, it's, it's, <laughs> it's what so many people say because they're like, I just have to get this off my plate. This will solve all my problems. And then it creates another one. It creates one where you're like stressed all the time of like, why don't I have money in there? Well, it's like, because we didn't have the profitability margin in there to hire that person at this time with where we are right now. So like, maybe we need to just focus on that for the next month or two, get to that point, and then we can bring that rock star person on. Yeah, uh, so softball for uh, here for you. Okay. So on I YouTube, like uh, Corey wants to know, how is simple CFO services apply to help a wholesale operation? Sure, well, our main focus is to two to five X what you're taking home. That is our goal. And we work with fix and flippers, wholesalers, rentals, like any type of real estate investor. We're working, we're working with influencers too. The people that you know that you watch a lot of those people and to make sure that they're profitable. But the way we work with wholesalers is we set up the fundamental accounts and then we're working with them consistently. We have a whole system and process too of like these are areas in your business that you should be savvy with, your cash flow management how you manage debt, how you manage, you know, like your business and like how you have a team, you know, like those different things. But for a wholesale company, we'd be looking at first, what do you need? What do you want? What are you paying yourself currently? And then setting up those accounts to say, we're gonna start funding so that way you are getting paid what you deserve. So that way you don't feel like burnout all the time of like, why am I going on these appointments? Why am I hiring these people? Why do I build this business? So, and also, especially with wholesaling companies, setting up that tax account. We make sure we set that tax account up because you're gonna pay taxes at the end of the year if you're just wholesaling. So making sure that you don't have those moments of panic, moments, I should say months of panic, of where is this money gonna go for the tax man? Yeah. So we focus a lot more, obviously, if it's a wholesale company, on the active side of the business and what we need to make sure we're holding you as the business owner accountable to building those reserves and not touching them because that's, I hear this all the time. If you're out there right now and you've set up profit first and you've ever swept the money out of the accounts, know that you're in good company too. That's another thing that we help people stop doing that set up profit first. When they set up profit first, they either get too aggressive and start putting too much in these places mm -hmm. and they're like, ah, oh, shoot, you know, like I can't pay payroll this month, so I gotta sweep all this money out. And then we're, we're building down, we're breaking down the, the disciplines and habits that we're trying to build up. So it's like, that's another big thing too when we start working with these companies is like, you've started this system, you've probably hit some bumps in the road, but let's help you smooth those out too. Yeah. 
I mean, just kind of on that note, like one of the worst things that can happen, you know, was when your accountant says, by the way, you owe 30,000 to uncle Sam and you look in your bank account and there's only 10,000. Right. That's the worst feeling. Yeah. That's what we see with a lot of owners when, before they come, then when, after they come, do you mind if I tell a quick story? Yeah. So one client we worked with, uh, we've been working with him now for almost three years. So when he came to us at the end of 2019, he's like, I've lost money in my fix and flip business. I've got rentals too. And they're basically covering what we need to take home. Like just our bare minimum essentials. And then he got a text, he got a call from his accountant at the end of that year and said, if I were in real estate investing, looking at your business, I'd be out of there so quick. Like I would not even like be in real estate investing. So he's feeling like the worst ever. So then the next year after working a year, implementing profit first, focusing on profitability, he gets a call from his account the next year. And she says, I don't know what happened, but like, this is what you've made. And he made net multiple six figures this next year. And his account said, you actually owe taxes this year. And he's like, yeah, I actually owe some this year because I didn't like lose all the money. So he's like, even with the rentals and everything, this is what you owe. That's what the accountant said. And he said, okay, let me look at my tax account. And he's like, let me bring it up right now. And he brought it up and he like had to, within a hundred dollars, he had the money to send it to her. And he's like, where, where can I send this? Can I send this right now? And she's like, what? You know, send it right now. What are you talking about? He's like, yeah, I already have the money in the account to send you. I don't want to think about this again for another mm -hmm. year. You yeah. know, and she was like, okay. Then it gets better. He calls me the next year. So the end of last year and says, I just got a call from my accountant again. She said, I don't know what's working in your business, but this is what you owe in taxes again because you had another stellar year. And he said, this time I looked at the accounts and I had 20,000 extra mm -hmm. in my account. He's like, now I'm giving myself a $20,000 refund this year mm -hmm. instead of a couple of years ago where I was you know, worried, nervous about all this. That's the power of setting up an account and being disciplined and focusing on the proper things is that way you have those taxes and maybe even be able to give yourself a refund because he put that in a profit. You know what he did? He bought an RV and he's yeah. taking like a trip with his family this year and like living the best life that he's lived, the, the life that he wanted to as a real estate investor. So this might not be something David agrees with, but like what I look at it is if I have, if I've overfunded my tax account, that is like party money. Like let's do oh, yeah. whatever the heck we want with this money. It's, it's like found yeah. money because we exactly. set it aside for Uncle Sam. And now we can go spend it irresponsibly. We tell people, put in your profit account. Yeah. Put it to your profit account because then you take 50% and do that. Exactly. Yeah. Like spend it on an RV. Like do the things that you wanted to do as a business owner. Remember, when you started. When, exactly. When you first started, you started for several reasons. Was that time freedom, money freedom, to take trips, to spend more time with your family? Like if you have this system and then you're able to have a windfall like that, do what you think back to those days and say, you know, it'd be really cool if I bought this car or if I, if I did this thing or went mm -hmm. on this trip with my family or took my significant other to like another part of the world because that's what we've always wanted to do. So I'm 100% in agreement with that because that will save your business more than you thinking, okay, if I just use that $20,000 to go reinvest it back into something, it's like, well, what's better for you and for your mindset and for where you are right now? And for your family. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, you kind of touched on the account thing and this isn't kind of the direction you were going with it, but I just want to add to this. Yeah. Um, in my personal experience, accounts will screw you up. Um, accountants? Accountants yes. will screw you up because they're going to look at the profit first. They're like, why do you have all these bank accounts? This is yes. unnecessary. They, for whatever reason, don't understand the profit first model. So are we going to go down this road? So here we I go. Guess, I, guess. I mean, you've opened a time. can of worms here. I started the business 
because I hate, I hate how accountants talk to mm -hmm. business owners. Yeah. Because accountants, their real client is the IRS. Mm -hmm. They only care about make my job easier so I can report your stupid stuff <laughs> to the IRS. And if I don't understand it, you need to put it in a format I understand. But the business owner's like, where the, what the heck is going on here? I have no idea. They're talking over my head. No idea what's going on. I don't understand the tax code. And like this person's trying to get me to do something. That's where so many people have had those bad experiences that coat the industry of like, no, one, no, no one's going to understand from the financial perspective. That's why I started Simple CFO because we're business strategists. We work with the owner on profit first and like these mindsets to say, you care about what you bring home and all this other stuff, really, if you can manage the cash, all this other stuff really takes care of itself. Right. Like you need a good bookkeeper, you need a good CPA, but let them do their thing and like we'll help manage that. But you need to know what your money is doing. That's all you care about from the financial perspective right. and what you're owing taxes. So like, let's work on that versus the jargon and like the accounting speech and language that just goes way over everyone's head. It's like, what the heck is going on here? So yeah, it's a whole can of worms there, but there's my <laughs> thoughts on, on accountants and how they, yeah. they help. So you're also in that department. Nobody, nobody likes poor, those poor accounts. Right. Um, so Eamon, what percentage of out-of-state investors do you see doing really well financially versus investors working in their own market? Ooh, good question. I would say a lot of the people that we work with are working either a combination of their own market and other markets. So I would say, I don't have exact data for you from that question that you just asked me right here in front of me, but I would say that the people that go to other markets are, and that are successful, that I should say that are successful, have to build the systems that re don't rely on them. So it almost forces them to open up their mindset to systems, processes, automation, sooner than someone who's just like, let me just invest in my backyard because I can go there, where that sometimes slows down that person from reaching their potential sooner of having a true business. Because a true business is not just because you've replaced your W-2 income, a true business that we know is you're able to replace yourself in all seats mm -hmm. in your business too. And if you run in a virtual business, it's easier to have that mindset sooner of like, I've got to get people there because I'm not the boots on the ground. I can't go out there and knock on, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Seller's door here. So that's where I would say that the people that are, that we're working with that are successful, a lot of them do out of state, you know, or different types of markets, or it could be like adjacent markets to them. But a lot of them have branched out just because of the need and necessity as well too. But I would say if you're going down that path and you're thinking about it, that's one reason to think about um, wholesaling or doing real estate investing virtually because it forces you to think differently and think systems process automation. So there's a question here. You don't have to answer this. Yeah. Uh, what is better if you want to focus just on wholesaling, LLC or S Corp? So I don't have to answer that. Steve said it right. I'm not just a disclaimer here. Me personally, I'm not a CPA or accountant or bookkeeper. Like I started this company and I have amazing people on our staff. So I'm not going to give you tax advice for you, but I will say a lot of people, LLCs, taxes, and escort, because that's where a lot of people just, you know, they're paying themselves and it just falls into their, you know, like their personal earnings or whatnot. Yeah. So, so that the active side, I would say. So, so I'm not an accountant or, or CPA or an attorney, whatever. I will only share that I am also an LLC, taxes, and escort. There you go. Yeah. Um, all right. So what is your biggest struggle right now? What's my biggest struggle right now? I would say my biggest struggle right now 
that I'm going through is I do have a five-year-old daughter. I'm not saying that's the biggest struggle, but it's like, I want to make sure I'm providing a great life for her, not just monetarily, but a lot of the stuff that I'm learning now, I want to pass on to her. We moved to Florida in September. So here we go. Huge tip. If you are an entrepreneur, you need to look up this type of school called an Acton Academy, A-C-T-O-N. It's a non-traditional, very entrepreneurial. They do like core values at the beginning of the year, like from a young age. The kids have to hold each other accountable to that. It's like almost a leadership type school and foundation and curriculum. And it's very Socratic. So they, the teachers are more guides and ask a lot of questions and make the kids think. So I think it's passing on a lot of what I've learned in my 20s and 30s to my daughter who is now five. And I want her to be a thinker, to be the one that gets this training and knowledge. So like my big struggle right now is making sure that I'm passing that on and teaching her good things. I would also highly recommend the Tuttle Twins books if you've got young kids and the Seven Habits of, High, of Happy Kids too, of, um, by Sean Covey too. I've got a whole line of books, teach great things. So it's like my biggest struggle right now is probably just making sure I raise a competent human. Yeah, a contributing citizen to society. Exactly. Um, I'm definitely going to get that list of books from you uh, later on. Okay. Um, Acton, that's not the same one that Elon started. No, not the same one that Elon started. I actually heard about this one from uh, someone in a mastermind that I'm a part of started one in Oklahoma. And that's like, got me. it's Courage to Grow is the name of the book that the founders started of mm-hmm. Acton. And now they're in almost every single state. Like there's ones in major cities in every single state. So you can yeah. look that right up on their site. That's cool. Yeah, because I was reading about the one that Elon started because he did not care for the traditional traditional yep. school system. Um, and so, yeah, in case you guys have, have not noticed, giant Elon Musk, you know, super fan. Um, and, you know, just a word of warning for you, right? Your five-year-old daughter. So I got 10, 9, and coming up on 5 tomorrow, Ooh, right? Happy and birthday. so... Um, the, having kids that learn how to think, you're going to have a lot of challenges because mm-hmm. they question me on everything. <laughs> I see your posts and I'm like, I want what Steve <laughs> is doing with his like nine and 10 year olds. I want Ellie, my daughter, to be asking those types of questions yeah. or like challenging me because right. I, I, I love that because it is. It's like sometimes the best accountability is your, is your children. Oh, yeah. Big time. You know the... <laughs> I was talking to them and I ended the question with right. And I've taught them, you don't end questions with right. I just ask a question. Yeah. Don't end it with a yes, no modifier. As so I asked them a question and I said, right. They're like, dad, you're not supposed to do that. I was like, man, it's like, <laughs> there is no reprieve. Yep. Um, how do you measure success? Ooh, I measure success. Yeah. I get this a lot from Larry. Yeah. It's more of a feeling. Mm-hmm. So it's more of a feeling of our accomplishment for that day. Did I do my, and from reading the four agreements too, did I do my best today? If I can, no one can touch me. Mm-hmm. No one. And I can't give 110. 110 gives you burnout. Did you give 100% of yourself that day? So that to me is true success because if I was a good father or a good podcast guest, or if I was doing whatever, if I could bring value to the world that day and I did my best, that's how I have to measure success now because I've fallen into that trap before of like money and fame or, you know, like books sold or whatever. It's like, but no, true success to me now is more, did I do my best? And if I did, no one can really touch me. Even if I disappointed someone that day, I did my best. That's what real success is. And honestly, we need that on a daily basis. Not, I'm not looking for some success off in the future. I'm looking for success today. 
I love that. What is your superpower? I would say my superpower is teamwork, working with a good team, building a team, really being able to build a good culture. There's another great book. Um, a CEO only does three things, culture, people, numbers. I would say one of mine is finding the right people and building a great culture. So like those superpowers of bringing that team together and making sure we're all on the same page and that we're really bonding together to help people. So I would say that's definitely a big superpower of mine. Phenomenal. What is the greatest lesson you've learned? Besides profit first, of course. Mm -hmm. So the greatest lesson I've learned, this is so difficult because I was seriously, I keep track of all the books I read and I've learned so many different lessons, but it might be what I've learned recently from the four agreements that I don't need to take anything personally. You know, other people have their view of the world, then they're going to always be thinking their way. And they're thinking, you know, and they all, every single response is from something that they've been, a, you know, that they've been exposed to. Their lens and their, their filter. Their lens, exactly. Their lens or their filter. So don't take anything personally. Don't make any assumptions whatsoever. Ask the question. If you think you know something, ask. And don't think, know it, if you, mm -hmm. especially if you need that answer. And then, like I said, that last one there of always do your best. And if you do your best, no one can really touch you because you know deep down that I did my best. Then you know that you're going to be able to put your head on your pillow at night. And isn't that what we're all looking for? You know, like, that's why. I, that's why now getting this message out there. I want people to say that who didn't have an education in finances or whatnot, can now say there's a book out there, there's a process, a system that I don't have to live in the rat race so I can do my best here to provide for my family or to yeah. do those things. So that might be some of the best lessons I've learned. And and I just, I try and constantly learn. So that's the lesson I've learned recently. Yeah, well, I get that. Uh, what was uh, your favorite, best, or most interesting failure? <sighs> my favorite, best, or most interesting failure? Man, when there's so many, just kidding. <laughs> But as far as the failures in my life up to this point, probably the biggest one that's for me personally was people pleasing. I was a very much people pleaser, like at any cost to my personal health. I was a big, I used to check my email probably a hundred times a day. And you know what? As you grow as a business owner, you can't be doing that. That's not our highest and best. And it's like always thinking I need to be there. I need to respond. I need to do this and not letting the team really be what the team is there for. So I feel like that was probably one of my earlier mistakes over the last few years and getting better at that of really letting go and letting the people that I've trusted run with those things. So that way I don't have to, I can actually be on a podcast like this, bringing right. value to a lot of people and saying, you can get out of this rat race. So it's like those failures of not letting go of those things when I should have and really not empowering those people in those seats at that time because you think if you do that that's the faster way in order to help more people it really is so i would say those are 100 ones i think and last question is what book have you gifted more than any other so i will say because that one's hard too because i gift a lot of books and i'm a huge reader obviously profit first for real estate investing now so i want to make sure that we're gifting that but then also Oh man, probably the road less stupid is the one that I've gifted more recently mm -hmm. and the ultimate blueprint for an insanely successful business, both by Keith Cunningham. Those are really good books on 
The road less stupid is all about good questions you should ask yourself if you're going through difficult troubles in your business. Like yeah. he's helping you avoid the dumb tax as a business owner. So like if you're going through hiring or teamwork or like systems or whatever, here's questions, deep, deep questions to ask yourself of like how you can turn that around or whatnot. So that's definitely one that I've gifted a lot here recently and that we give to all the people that we're working with. Yeah, I think it's an incredible book. And, you know, for those of you guys that are, uh, are wondering, because it's such a weird title, right. uh, the, there's two things about that book that I really like a lot. Uh, first, just thinking, like, if you never made a, a mis financial mistake, where would you be financially? Right. right. It's like, oh, my goodness. So now, okay, now that he sold you on the value of thinking time, now you can start doing thinking time. Yeah. Right. So that's the first thing. So that's why he calls it the road less stupid. And the second thing is... Um, no matter what obstacle you're facing in your business, there's a chapter. Yep, exactly. So wherever you're struggling with your business, how do I handle this difficult employee? How do I fire somebody? How do I scale? Whatever question is, there's a chapter for it. Yep. And it gives you like nine questions to ask yourself. Exactly. Yeah. And I love that. How to apologize. Like he's got a whole apology. Like maybe I did something wrong, but we're not working here. You know, it's like, it's just great practical information and a lot of good questions. Yeah. So it's definitely, uh, I don't know if it's number one yet. I got to figure that out, but it's definitely my top three favorite books. Yeah. Oh yeah. Big yeah. time for me. All right. So, uh, I want you to think about what you want to leave the listeners with while I make just yeah. a few quick announcements. Guys, if you got value today, please like subscribe, share a comment. Uh, I'm on a mission to create hundred millionaires. David is on a mission to help people get out of this rat race. We put ourselves yeah. into, right? Like we all talk about the rat race as far as the, the, the Kiyosaki uh, yeah. uh, perspective, but we're talking about like actually becoming wealthy from your business. Running a business doesn't rely on you. So, we're both actually on big missions here. So like, subscribe, share, comment helps us reach more people. Uh, we do have our Discord channel. So check out the link in our YouTube for the Discord channel. And we do have a workshop that's coming up tomorrow, so it might be too late. But if you guys are interested, check it out right now, disruptors.com slash workshop. What are some last thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? So the last thought. So I'll speak to you right now. This is you and me in a room. I've already said it, but I want to hit it again. The whole point of what we talked about today is to make profit a habit. So open up that one account, call it profit, and transfer 1%. And I promise a year from now, you will have more money in that account that you've ever had in your business, in your life. You'll be able to then say, I've built this habit and this discipline because that's what we're trying to build here. That's how you get out of the rat race. That's how you do what wealthy people do. And I want to make sure that you have no excuse whatsoever now to go out there and be a profitable business and go out there and, and bring more value to your employees, to the community, to the world. So there you go. Yeah. And I think this is the last piece, right? We're talking about creating millionaires. Like this is probably like the, the that end piece, right? Like you've yeah. learned marketing and sales and business leadership, all these key principles. But at the, at the end of the day, if you're not keeping it, it's all a waste of time. Exactly. If you go down business, bloodline is cash. And yeah. if you run out of cash, game over. No more 100 millionaires. No more going out there buying 100 properties or doing 10 deals a month. You need to make sure you have this piece. Yeah. How can someone get a hold of you? SimpleCFOSolutions.com. That's really the one-stop shop. If you think you're wanting to work with us, because we do. We work with people that are doing about five deals a year you know, uh, up to people that have a $10 million business. So we're working like anywhere in between there to help people with their finances. Yeah. So simple CFO solutions.com. And if you guys actually like this episode today, 
David interviews a whole bunch of people on his on his podcast. And if you want to learn more about my business, actually, David interviews yes. me, and we talk about my finances. So uh, if you guys want to check that out, go check out SimpleCFOSolutions.com. Check out that podcast. You look for our episode, or you can go buy the book, Profit, Profit First, First for Real Estate, for real estate Investing. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was a awesome. lot of fun. Thank you, Steve. All right. Shout out to Steve Train. Jump on the Steve Train. We really.